are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up and welcome to another Monday edition of Locked On NBA, the biggest stories, the local experts. I'm your Monday host, Jackson Gatlin, also host of Locked On Rockets right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Today, we'll be talking to Cyrus Satsas of Locked On Warriors as Steph Curry and the Warriors top the Phoenix Suns on Christmas Day, regaining the top spot in not just the Western Conference, but the entire NBA. Are the Golden State Warriors the team to beat this season? Then we touch base with Kane Pittman of Locked On Bucks as Giannis and Tudukumpo makes his way out of the NBA health and safety protocols and returns to the Milwaukee Bucks lineup in dominant fashion. And then lastly, we touch base with Charles Mockler of Locked On Clippers with the news that Paul George will be sidelined for at least the next three to four weeks as he has suffered a torn ligament in his right elbow. How severe is the situation with Paul George? Who steps up in his absence for the Clippers? All of that coming up here in just a moment. But first, we do thank you for making Locked On NBA your first listen each and every day. Joining me now is Cyrus Satsas off of Locked On Warriors. Cyrus, fresh off of a Christmas Day win against now the number two team in the association, the Golden State Warriors, coming off the win against the Phoenix Suns. How much of a statement game was this for the Warriors? I, I thought, you know, I was telling uh, on my Twitter account, uh, I was telling the people following me, because I'm guessing most of them follow me for Warriors info, and commentary and I was telling them to take the result of this game with a grain of salt because they were missing uh three vitally important I think four I'm sorry vitally important players uh, in Jordan Poole Andrew Wiggins uh Damian Lee who's been a very underrated contributor and then last minute Moses Moody uh was in health and safety protocols uh and, and so I my expectations were low because Phoenix is a hostile crowd uh the Suns are easily in my opinion the second best team in the Western Conference after the Warriors um, but the way the Warriors came out and not just beat them, but even though, I mean, they beat them, by, I think nine total, but given it was a road game, given the players they were missing, Phoenix had their whole squad. Um, I, I would call that a dominating performance. I would call that a statement game. And, and it was the statement was the Warriors telling the, the Western conference and probably the whole NBA, Hey, you're on notice. We're the team to beat here. And, and it was, it was huge. And I'm sure, I don't know if you agree with me or not, but from my perspective, it was a, it was a massively huge win for them. You, you took the words right out of my mouth. I was actually going to tee you up for the very next. I was going to say, are the Warriors the team to beat this year? Are they? Do you put them firmly right now in front of the Phoenix Suns, who are f- uh, fresh off of a finals loss, and then in the East, the Milwaukee Bucks, who are f- the reigning champs? In my look, in my opinion, and and the, the thing I, I struggle with the most with my show uh, when I'm hosting Locked On Warriors, trying to put my fandom aside and maintaining objectivity. Um, and and hopefully I'm doing an okay job with that. But in my humble opinion, the Phoenix Suns are the second best team in the West. And and if and if and when the Warriors and Suns play each other in the Western Conference Finals, um, which is, I think is going to happen, I say it's going to be a six game series. I don't think it's even going to go seven. I I really do believe the Warriors are a clear step ahead of the Suns. The Bucks are the one team that concern me. I value a championship experience tremendously. There's something about actually getting over that hump and finally hoisting uh, the Larry O'Brien trophy and then having the ring ceremony and just going through the whole war and attrition of an entire season. 
culminating with being the one team out of 30 to actually win the title. There's there's something to say for that in terms of the experience that goes with it. So the Bucks to me are a real threat. Um, I, I and and honestly, I think the, the Miami Heat, when all said and done, at the end of the regular season, will be the second best team in the East. Uh, I, I I'm sorry, Nets fans, that might be a little disrespectful to you folks, but I just don't see it. Um, at least not defensively from their team. But the Bucks are to me are are alongside the Warriors. I mean, they're the defending champs. I have to show them respect. Um, and then in the West, the other team beside the Suns that concerns me, sir, if I'm like taking up too much of your time here or going beyond the question, but I really think the Grizzlies, I, I mean, the Utah Jazz, yes, they're very good, but but until they prove themselves in the postseason, I just don't really sweat them that much. But the Men- Memphis Grizzlies are the other team that I kind of worry about a little bit in the West and I actually look at them as a the third best team. But to answer your question after all that, yes, the Warriors to me are the team to beat just because of the fact that when Clay Thompson comes back, that's three players on that team, vitally important players, still in their prime. They haven't peaked yet with three championships under their belt. And that says something. And you have a championship, uh, and you have a head coach and Steve Kerr with multiple championships under his belt, not just as a coach, but as a player. And, you know, he was a discipline under, in my opinion, two of the four greatest head coaches in the history of the game and Phil Jackson and Greg Popovich. Um, so, yeah, I, I think the Warriors, uh, as objectively as I can say this, are the team to beat. No offense, Rockets fans. I know that's who you represent, but um, that's that's my take. Yeah. No, hey, it's, it's okay. You know what the best part is, Cyrus? I'm going to be able to build this segment as a not just a Warrior segment because we hit on so many other teams there. No. Um, look, it, <laughs> it seems like every year, too, the Warriors adapt and fit new role players, you know, to, to fit with their identity and what they're trying to achieve on the court. And it seemingly they bring in guys and it's almost like they're, they're resuscitating certain guys careers. And there's two guys that I want to, you know, talk about here for a moment. And yeah. that's been Gary Payton, the second and Otto Porter Jr. How impactful yes. have those guys been for this Warriors team? Oh, huge. I, I you know when the funny when the season started, uh, I was on like a radio show about a month and a half ago and they were asking me which player surprised you the most. And a month and a half ago, I was saying it was Bielitsa. Um, they're, they're six nine power forward slash center, uh, arguably the biggest player on that team, which is saying something. I mean, this team is still small despite the fact that they're the team to beat. Um, but since then, from then until now, Otto Porter Jr. to me is the most important pickup outside of Andre Iguodala, who if you're not a Warriors fan, he's so easy to overlook, um, especially since he's 38 years old at the tail end of his career. But um, take Iggy aside and Otto Porter Jr. I mean, this is a player who I don't think he's even 30 years old yet. Uh, if it wasn't for the injuries, I mean, this is a guy who would be an all-star. I mean, the, the only reason why he kind of faded and why the Wizards gave up on him despite giving him all that money was the injuries that he was suffering. And now we're seeing a healthy version of Otto Porter Jr. And the results are showing. I mean, that he was the best, second best player on the Warriors beating the Suns on the road yesterday. I mean, this was a Suns team that had the best record in the entire NBA. So um, you touched on, on, on a play, two players there. First off, Otto Porter Jr., who, in my opinion, is vitally important. Um, and the Warriors were lucky because they weren't the only ones pursuing him in the offseason, but he picked the Warriors, and, and hopefully they're both very thankful for that. And then Gary Payne the second is a weird one because the Warriors almost blew it. I mean, the last episode of Locked On Warriors uh, I hosted, we talked about whether or not the Warriors front office is brilliant or lucky because a lot of these decisions they're making, sometimes you're scratching your head going, what's going on here? Other times it does seem obvious. With Gary Payne the second, a lot of Warriors fans last year were clamoring for him to play more. Um, he, he, he was not getting minutes and then he wasn't even signed to a guaranteed deal. And, and part of that process before the season started was he had to clear waivers, 
before he came back to the Warriors, and 29 other NBA teams just passed up on him. It's crazy. I mean, this is a journeyman who um, – in, in brief moments we've seen him play has has shined, but for some reason he wasn't shining enough for the front office to take, a, to take a gamble. They still have not given him a guaranteed contract. I believe January 7th is the deadline to do so, and they're obviously going to do it and hopefully give him an extension on top of that. Um, but, you're, you know, I mean, look, you're looking at, uh, at Gary Payton's prodigy. You're, you're looking at a player who um, we all knew defensively was going to stand out. And at the end of the, uh, the, the preseason, the decision was between him and Avery Bradley. And all the Warriors veterans wanted Avery. And it was it was actually some uh, uh, disconcernation uh, in the locker room with that decision to go with Gary, not necessarily go with Gary Payne, but to not sign Avery Bradley. And now we're seeing, again, Bob Myers in the front office. Were they brilliant? Were they lucky? I don't know. But um, Gary Payne II, to me, it's weird because he's the biggest 6'3 player we've ever seen. I mean, he plays like a power forward sometimes. He has a post-up game. He's catching lobs like he's a seven-footer and slamming them. Um, and and, and uh, uh, I just read a great article from the Undisputed ESPN's uh, publication um, where they did a profile piece on him. I think Mark Spears did it. And it was a brilliant piece because it highlighted that his athleticism comes not from his dad so much, but from his mom, who was also a player. Um, and she was like a track star. She, she played uh, a college basketball, um, and I guess she's got the hops. And so I guess that's where he gets that from. But, no, these two players, and alongside with Andre uh, Iguodala um, and Bielitsa, I, I don't want to leave him out. These four guys were veteran minimum pickups that the Warriors just struck gold on. And, and I, I don't know if this is the product of the Warriors front office being that smart or if it's just honestly they're – getting really lucky. I, I, I err to the side of brilliance just because you look at the Warriors draft history and especially over the last five, six years, they're picking like at the end of the first round and they're striking gold with Jordan Poole's. Uh, Kevon Looney was a late first round draft pick. Um, you know, Gary Payne II was just a free agent pickup, but again, they did pick him up. You know, they, they did, they're the ones who did decide on Bielitsa. They're the ones who just did this did decide that Otto Porter Jr. was a good pickup, and they never even used their mid-level exception. The Warriors still have their mid-level exception just sitting there. That's been a, a point of criticism from my perspective. Um, but so far, so amazing. And those two players you mentioned, I mean, they're a, a vitally important part of this whole thing, and Dub Nation is stoked. And you'd already, we already hit the, you know, talked about you know, the fact that this Warriors team wasn't even at full strength on their Christmas Day win against the Suns, missing some key components there. But probably the biggest key component that they're still missing, Clay Thompson. Uh, what's his What's his most recent timetable, and what are the expectations for the lineup when he does make it back? Well, when your team starts the way the Warriors have, where they now have the best record in the NBA, you suddenly have the luxury of not having to rush people back. Um, so Clay Thompson, from everything I've read and heard, uh, uh, first things first, Juan Toscano Anderson, who's another player that the Warriors picked up, who has been a shocker in terms of contribution. And and um, and over these last two years, before this year, you know, the Warriors had two years of just down times, right? I mean, two years ago, they were a horrible team. Last year, they still missed the playoffs, despite being the, the finishing with the eighth best record in the West. But they had all these players like Juan Toscano Anderson. They brought in Gary Payton the second last year. Jordan Poole as a development player, Andrew Wiggins, who they brought in last year. These are guys who the Warriors basically spent a year or two bringing people in and integrating them into their system so that when this year came and you have your Steph Curry ready, you have your Draymond Green who's been there but has really been just putting half the effort that he normally does because he saw the writing on the wall of where this Warriors team was. Um, but it gave a chance for these other players to really start to develop. And then so Clay Thompson now – 
instead of like rushing him back, you have the luxury of waiting. And, and Juan Toscano Anderson, the reason why I brought his name up is because he just commented two days ago and said that uh, Clay Thompson is burning him and everyone else to practice. Like, like his impression is Clay Thompson is ready to go. Um, the team does not want him to come back until Clay feels really great about it. Um, every date you read is speculation. I mean, uh, sh the, the Shambom fizzle. I think he he published a date on Twitter about a month or so ago that was not true. The Warriors came out and denied it. Um, so any dates you see are not fact because what the Warriors have decided to do is just let Clay come back when he feels ready. Um, but man, as I'm sure you know, Jackson, Clay is such a popular figure. I don't think I never realized how popular he was until this year because everything he does is fire. People are just like totally retweeting, liking, commenting, talking about him. And he hasn't even played in over two years. It's crazy. Um, but realistically, uh, I'm, we're looking at mid-January. Uh, I saw the Cavaliers game as one of them. Sorry for the noise in the background. That's my stepson. Um, so, so most likely the Cavaliers home game is what we're looking at. Uh, Jay, Joe Lacob has come out and said that he wants it to be a home game. So it's a celebratory environment. Um, and then also don't forget the the Warriors are also waiting on the only center on the roster, James Wiseman. He hasn't played either. Uh, so these are two big names that we're hoping come back soon and hopefully they come back healthy and ready to go. Cyrus, you're going to have us covered for all of that over at locked on warriors. Appreciate you stopping by locked on. Yeah. Indiana. Yeah. Thank you, Jackson. Take care, man. Thanks. Coming up, Giannis Antetokounmpo makes his return to the Bucks lineup in dominant fashion with a win against the Boston Celtics on Christmas Day. But first, a quick message from our friends over at Truebill. Because look, do you know why free trials renew without your consent? It's a business scam out to get you. Don't let greedy corporations pocket your money. Download Truebill to take control of your subscriptions. Truebill is the new app that helps you identify and stop paying for subscriptions that you don't need, want, or simply forgot about. On average, people save up to $720 per year with Truebill. Look, because companies make it so hard to cancel subscriptions, Truebill makes it incredibly simple. Just link your accounts and Truebill will cancel your unwanted subscriptions in one tap, one click, one press, one button. It is that easy. Don't fall for any more subscription scams. Start canceling today at Truebill.com slash LockedOnNBA. Go right now. That's Truebill.com slash LockedOnNBA. It could save you thousands a year. That's Truebill.com slash LockedOnNBA. And continuing on here at Locked On NBA, where we thank you for making Locked On NBA your first listen each and every day. Joining us now is Kane Pittman from Locked On Bucks. Kane, what uh, one? We had an incredible slate of, of games, you know, all throughout Christmas Day in the NBA, but that Bucks Celtics game, right? The, the Celtics were you know, dominant for stretches of the game. It kind of looked like they were going to, you know, walk away with this one. And then Giannis had other plans, right? He he made his return to the to the Bucks lineup from the health and safety protocols and kind of looked like he was ramping up in the first half and then was just absolutely dominant in the second half. What goes through your mind when you watch a Giannis takeover like that? Yeah, it's hard to, it's hard to really say. I mean, he's had multiple games this season where he's had scoreless calls or looks like he's struggling early in the game and then he has the ability to completely take over a game. But uh, I think the biggest thing that we've seen with Giannis over the last couple of seasons and particularly the last 12 months here, including the postseason run, is that's a big stage. If there is a big game, if it's me, if it's against a rival, which is kind of odd when you look at some of the postseason series they've had in recent seasons, Giannis 
always wants to deliver and he does not let the team down or let anyone down and have a quiet game in these big moments. So I wasn't totally shocked that he did that, but I guess when you consider only a few hours before the game, we weren't sure if he was even going to play. It, it did make the performance more remarkable. Maybe we can safely say this now, Kane. You know, is Giannis the best player in the league? Or if we're not ready to say that he's the best player, can we at least safely say he's the most dominant player in the league? Yeah, I think yesterday, Christmas Day, in terms of to play through at different levels of it is physical, which we saw, for instance, last year in the NBA Finals with the knee injury. Now we saw it from the health safety protocols, his ability to mentally will himself to line, to will himself himself to the next level and be able to at that MVP level that we've seen I think separates him from other players uh you you spoke about physical dominance and the way he can overwhelm other teams we certainly saw that with the Celtics yesterday in the Christmas Day game but uh, I don't clearly the best player in the NBA but I, I think you're right I think he's the most physically dominant and I would argue that he's the mentally toughest as well Drew Holiday really kind of stepped up his level of play with Giannis out, even Middleton missing a handful of games. You know, Drew ha had a stretch where, you know, that that four-game stretch, I mean, he had a 40-point game in there. He he just kind of really picked up his level of play. I'm sure Bucks fans appreciate him plenty and what he brings to the table, but do we do you think at times we forget just how good Drew Holiday can be now that he's in that third banana roll next to Giannis and, and Middleton? Yeah, it's interesting. Interesting because even Bucks fans will tweet at me or they'll they'll comment on our uh, past feed and ask when he has these big games when Giannis is out. Why doesn't he do this more often? But you're right. I think it is part of being the third option on the team. And you have Chris Milton who has the ball in his hands a lot. Giannis who has the ball in his hands a lot. And I think more than anything, it speaks to the unselfishness of Drew Holiday that he's happy to fit in with these guys. He's happy to play his role. We know what he does on the defensive side of the ball. But it is nice knowing that you're this guy that can legitimately take over a game offensively if you need him to. And he's certainly done that when Giannis has been out of the lineup. So do you want to see Bucks fans maybe maybe pump the brakes a little bit on some of the Drew Holiday frustrations? Is that what I'm hearing from you? I wouldn't even say it's frustration. I think it's fun to see Drew play in that aggressive offensive role that sometimes I think people want to see it a little bit more often, but it's just difficult. They've all spoke about it. Chris and Giannis have all spoke about the fact that even now, it's been a season, but it still feels like they're still figuring out, okay, when is it my turn to go? When is it your turn to go? How do we work in together? It's remarkable to say that, that it still feels like they have room for improvement, uh, but it does feel like it's the case. Now, Giannis wasn't the only one making his return to the Bucks lineup. Uh, Dante DiVincenzo made it back to the Bucks lineup after his, uh, you know, rehab, the the injury that he took, you know, had, you know, last year's play, during last year's playoffs. How good was it just to see him back out there for the Bucks again? Yeah, he's like the forgotten guy of the lineup because he only played in that first round series last year. And because the Bucks did what they did, I think it does diminish what he had produced for the team during the season. He was every night starter. Uh, he's a guy that since he's come into the league, Budenholzer's had him in the rotation. I think, again, just another depth piece with Grayson Allen, who is fitting into that starting role really nicely. I think we'll probably see Dante, if he can stay healthy, if he can run himself into a bit of shape here. I think we'll probably see him come into that starting role. Um, but it was nice. I mean, it wasn't the perfect game. There was clearly some rust there and probably a little bit of nerves that had been a while since he played. Um, but I think it was nice to just see him finally get out there because he was on the eve return a week ago, and then he entered the self, uh, the health and safety protocols as well. So, so it was kind of a, a false start for his return, but I'll see it on Christmas.
Seemingly every player has entered health and safety protocols at some point this season. So it doesn't surprise me that he was on the cusp of return, then the protocols, then, you know, actually gets to make his debut again for this Bucks team. But a, a couple other names I want to throw your way. DeMarcus Cousins and Wesley Matthews being added to this Bucks team earlier this month. You know, a couple veterans, a couple more depth pieces, as you've mentioned before. How, what has their impact been like for this Bucks team? And have you seen enough out of either one of them yet that, you know, would illustrate or, or kind of give them the opportunity to potentially maybe carve out a rotation spot moving forward? Yeah, we'll start with Wes. That's a guy that's pretty familiar to the Bucks organization. He had that one year in Angeles, which didn't really go down for anyone. I don't think his time with the Lakers was was kind of forgettable. But uh, I think because there was a lot of questions, well, what does Wes have left in the tank? Is he going to be a guy that can actually play legitimate minutes? And like most players, box roster, we're trying to look at it from the playoff lens or through the playoff lens. And can they be a guy that you can have on the floor in the postseason? I think what we're seeing is the answer is probably yes. The box is still trying to figure out who is their... Uh, Small ball lineup, I guess. Who are the four guys that are going to play alongside Giannis if he's at center? Can Wesley Matthews still be the versatile defender that he was years ago where he'll defend twos, he'll defend fours. He can defend guys that are a little bit bigger than him. It looks like he can. Wesley Matthews has been impressive so far. Uh, no doubt about that. And as far as Boogie goes, you know, Jackson, you saw a bit of Boogie last year. I, I think the one that I have to give him credit for is that you can tell that he really desperately just wants to have an impact. He desperately wants to stick uh, in, in the NBA and have his opportunity to play again. So it's been fun to see him out there. He's very emotional. He's very passionate when he, when he's out on the floor. The question remains whether he's a guy that legitimately will hang on this roster towards the postseason or it is just a guy that's filling a bit of a void with Brook Lopez out of the lineup. James Ray looked pretty damn good. We've seen other games where he was just a foul machine, looked a little bit slow. So there's more questions around Boogie Cousins, I think, than Wes Matthews. But, but um, seeing Boogie Cousins play well is a little bit of a feel-good story. I think most people want to see him do well. It's funny. You say, you know, we've seen games where Boogie's played incredibly well and then, you know, where he's been a foul machine. That happened both stints against the Houston Rockets where he, you know, had the yeah. <laughs> the insane fouling in the first meetup and then had his revenge game in the second meetup against, uh, against my Houston Rockets. But... Kane, when fully healthy, is there any team in the association that this Bucks team should be afraid of? Or, or are they still the team to beat in your eyes? Well, I don't know if that they would be afraid of anyone, but I do think that there's a number of teams at the top of the NBA. Of course, they've been going through their own stuff, which everyone knows about. And obviously, COVID has been a big impact on the last few weeks. But Brooklyn are clearly the team in the East that I think are right up there with Milwaukee. And then you, you have Golden Snakes out West. I think both of those teams are, I think both of those teams are legitimate contenders. So I, I personally would have those four teams uh, above the chasing back right now. And I think goal four, I, I don't think right now, any of those four winning, if you told me one of those four teams was going to win it, it certainly wouldn't shock me um, for sure. But I think just based on the, the Bucks playoff run last year, they didn't have what, uh, moving forward, they were a three seed. They had to win on the road. They were trailing in multiple series. I don't think that they would fear anyone, but certainly they should be respecting uh, those teams up the top, no doubt. Kane, you're going to have us covered for everything Milwaukee Bucks over at Locked On Bucks. Appreciate you having, ha uh, having the time to come on Locked On NBA with me. Yeah, anytime, man. Thank you. Coming up, Paul George is out for the next month for the LA Clippers. Who steps up 
with him out of the picture. But first, a quick message from our friends over at Built Bar, because this holiday season, you can grab the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar, or even better than a candy bar. That's Built Bar, filled with so much holiday goodness, rich with decadent flavor, covered in chocolate, but amazingly low in calories, sugar, net carbs, and fat. And yes, high in protein. You get the best of both worlds, delicious and healthy. So many flavors to choose from. I mean, the list goes on and on. You're going to have a hard time choosing raspberry, mint brownie, double chocolate, cookies and cream, peanut butter brownie. My personal favorite, the coconut brownie chunk. You can't go wrong with a single bar on their menu. And you could check them out and get 15% off. Just visit built.com and use promo code LOCK15 to get 15% off your next order of the best tasting protein bars on the market. Again, that's promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at built.com. And final segment here at Locked On NBA, where we thank you for making Locked On NBA your first listen each and every day. Now make your second listen Locked On Bets, your daily one-stop shop for all of your gambling needs. Locked On Bets, hosted by your boy Q with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. It's free and available on all platforms. Joining us now is Charles Mockler from Locked On Clippers. Now, Charles, we've got the... Sudden news, the you know immediate news that we're going to be addressing here. Paul George is going to be out for about three to four weeks while they figure out what's going on with this elbow injury he's dealing with. The UCL, what, what is it? Ulna, ulnar collateral ligament <laughs> in his right elbow. The same elbow that's already caused him to miss uh, you know what, four or five games already this season. Uh, Charles, what was your reaction when you found out about this news for the Clippers? I mean, it's yeah, deflating, I think, would be would be the best word for it. Um, in the Kings game, after his first bucket, you saw him kind of snapping his elbow at one point. And, it, you know, the comfortability just was never there. Obviously, no one could have assumed it was torn right then, so we didn't know that. But it's just another blow in what feels like a season of, you know, kind of brutal injury or health and safety protocol blows that this team has had to go, go through. Um, they put up a good fight against the Nuggets tonight, but... Man, yeah, I mean, this is a huge loss for the Clips. He played every game pretty much the first month of the season. He was playing at, you know, MVP conversation level um, for sure on both ends of the floor. And, you know, it just puts more pressure on all the other guys and for Ty Lue to cobble together wins where they can because it's also not like the Clippers have a draft pick they can really tank for. So, you know, wins are still a good thing for this team. So it's definitely an interesting road ahead. So... Right now on the season, the Clippers are now three and four without Paul George in the lineup. How optimistic are you that the Clippers can at least, you know, hope may, you know, what trade water while he's out, while they, you know, wait and then reevaluate him in about three to four weeks? Or, or is there just kind of a lot of like, oh, well, this might be the end of the Clippers season. No Kawhi, no PG. Where, where's the mentality at? So the, it was already kind of a house money year, right, with no Kawhi um, and, you know, with kind of the injuries they've been dealing with, with since game two with Marcus Morris having to be out and Serge being out. It was always kind of a house money year, but now we can really lean into that more, I guess. Um, the Clippers have a very hellish part of their schedule coming up right now. They just lost to the Nuggets. They're going to play the Nets um, in the back to back. They have a back to back on New Year's Eve and then New Year's Day in Toronto in Brooklyn. And then they have a game, uh, I believe either in Minnesota or in Los Angeles, um, you know, just with a day in between that game in Brooklyn after new year's day and things just kind of get worse. Um, in January, if the Clippers are at 500 at the end of January, we should be ecstatic, um, uh, at that point, because it's a tough part of the schedule. Marcus Morris is going to be back. He's out of health and safety protocols, which is good. Um, but Reggie's still in there. Um, there might be some discomfort with Luke Kennard. So, 
I mean, there's definitely hope. This team isn't going to roll over um, any game at all, but it's it's tough sledding for sure. Who becomes the leader of this Clippers team with no PG out there? I mean, well, since Reggie Jack, I mean, I, you know, you could point, I think it's going to be a collective effort. Honestly, at this point, we're down so many guys who kind of have that role. Marcus Morris coming back is going to be great. He's a great teammate. He's been very vocal um, ever since he's really been with the Clippers. He's been a, a guy that especially the young guys can look up to. Um, he definitely checks them and helps them kind of figure out how to play professional basketball. Um and then I think it's going to be kind of a nightly basis. I think it's going to be based on what you're bringing to the floor at that point. When Dredgy Jackson gets back, he's going to be looked to to be a scorer for sure. Brandon Boston Jr. is a rookie. Um, he was the 51st pick. And there's going to be some nights where the Clippers kind of, you know, as he goes, they will go. There's going to be some scoring droughts, and he's a guy who can help bring the Clippers out of them. The other side of the ball is something still to kind of get figured out. But at this point, the Clippers just kind of need to take any momentum they can get even in small scenarios on a game by game basis and just run with it. Yeah. That's, I mean, not even, even setting aside just like the leadership aspect of it is, you know, you're missing 25 points a night from Paul George. Where do you even, you know, begin to try and make up that ground? You said, you know, before it's going to be probably a collective effort, but do you have a couple guys in mind that are going to be looked to as the guys that are going to have to step up over this next stretch? Luke Kennard's been playing very well so far this year, especially when you consider what he looked like last year with this team. Um, he's going to be looked at to, I mean, he's been shooting, you know, upper forties from three. So he's going to need to get those attempts up for sure. Nick Batum kind of does everything, but they might have to rely on his scoring a little bit more just um, with some of these wonky lineups we're going to see out there. Terrence Mann is someone people have wanted to see make a jump, um, especially after his fantastic performance um, in the playoffs. Um, kind of a little to be desired there so far this year, but I mean, from outside, it's going to be, you know, Kennard and Reggie. And then whatever holes we can patch up with, you know, these hardship contracts and stuff like that, we hope we can get some quality minutes. Yeah, look, I mean, Clippers aren't the only team in the league that's dealing with, you know, lineup inconsistencies and guys moving in and out. And so it's not, you know, nobody's going to, you know, have a pity party for the Clippers at this point. (laughs) No, no one ever does anyway. So I think that will be fine. Yeah. But look, every time I watch the Clippers play, especially, it seems, you know, it, it feels like on any given night, anyone on the team is is capable and ready to step up to the plate and deliver in, in a big way. How much credit does Ty Lue deserve for kind of, you know, fostering that type of environment, atmosphere, and, and also just for the defense, which ranks top five and has kept this Clippers team relevant in a stacked Western Conference? Ty Lue's been fantastic for this team. There were glimpses of it, you know, um, when Doc Rivers was the coach, that 18-19 team was one that was really fun to watch. Um, just never saying die, that whole attitude. But this year, guys really understand their role. I think there's a big difference in how Ty Lue prepares guys, telling them exactly what's expected of them within the system of the offense and the defense so they know what they're supposed to be doing. And there's not some kind of weird ambiguity, like, trust me, we got this mentality. There's a very open line of communication for what you're supposed to be doing, which has guys believing in themselves, which is huge. Um, it carried over from last year from the regular season. There were some absurd wins. Um, there's a game against the Hawks where I think Ty Lue benched all five starters at one point because he was so upset. And then the bench came in and played great. And that carried into the playoffs. And that just keeps going. Um, in a season like this where you just have to deal with absences, um, you know, with, with COVID and all that stuff, all you can do is continue to just the next man up mentality. And thankfully, I, th- I think Ty Lue deserves most of the credit, if I'm being honest. And Paul George really stepped up as well in the absence of Kawhi Leonard, just kind of getting guys ready and focused on what needs to be done by showing he can get it done on both ends. You threw out that term house money earlier, Charles. Playing with the house money now, 
what are you most looking forward to over this next month for this? Oh man. Um, probably the youth movement. You know, we kind of have a lot of known commodities. We know what Luke Kennard can do. We know what Marcus Morris can do. Um, we've seen glimpses of what, you know, Brandon Boston Jr. can do on the offensive end. He had 27 um, versus Celtics earlier this year, which was very fun to watch kind of peaks and valleys for him right now, but it's the young guys. It's Keon Johnson, um, Jay Scrub, once he's out of health and safety protocols, he's in a very interesting story. Um, you know, uh, a community college guy who, who ended up on a, on a roster, which is fantastic. Um, but it's the youth movement, really, and just seeing kind of what Ty Lue can do with these guys to get them ready for whatever happens down the road after this season, um, depending how long PG is out. Speaking of youth movement, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about a fan favorite of mine, one Isaiah Hartenstein, who seems to oh, have man. Yeah. started to flourish with this Clippers team before, unfortunately, being sidelined. Hey, you guessed it, another injury. Yeah. But <laughs> what what has he been like for this Clippers team? What have you liked out of him, you know, as part of the the, the Clipper land? Uh, real quick, so I got to correct myself. Jay Scrub was a Juco guy, not a community college guy. Just one of, one of the best Juco scores of all time. Um, Hartenstein has been a revelation for this team. He pushed Serge Ibaka out of the rotation. He played so well in Serge Ibaka's absence that Ty Lue kind of had to be like, dude, I'm really sorry, but this guy, <laughs> he passes well. He's energetic. Um, he commits probably too many fouls, but it shows that he's really trying on the defensive end. Uh, but, I mean, Ty Lue raves about this guy. Every post game he has – he talks about there's passing ability. Um, him and Luke Kennard have a great chemistry. Anytime he's the roller, he's been pretty good. Um, he's been a spark, and he's a guy who, again, the Clippers are going to need to rely on to provide some kind of, you know, just different look for these these opposing defenses to see. But I'm not sure if the Clippers can even keep Isaiah Hartenstein after this season. He he's bet on himself. Um, he you know he came to the Clippers to compete, and he competed with Harry Giles, um, and you know obviously won that round. So. I just hope the Clippers can get as much success with him as they can this season because I'm not sure. He might outplay whatever the Clippers can offer him after this year. Well, I know you're going to keep <laughs> us up to date for all of that over at Locked on Clippers. Charles, appreciate you stopping by Locked on NBA with me, man. Thank you so much. Maybe next time we'll talk after a Clippers win. That's going to do it for another episode of Locked On NBA. If you haven't done so yet, please consider subscribing wherever you listen to your podcast, Apple, Spotify, Google, the brand new Odyssey app, free and available on all platforms. We appreciate you making it your first listen each and every day. Also, check out the brand new YouTube channel. Search Locked On NBA on YouTube. Hit subscribe, like, comment on the YouTube videos. But for today's episode, that's going to do it. As always, thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. And we look forward to having you back right here at Locked On NBA, the biggest story with the local experts.